Hey, what's up, everybody? We are back once again with a brand new episode of Five Things to Know About, hosted by AP Entertainment. Hey, we wanted to thank everybody for being so kind about our debut week last week. We dropped four episodes last week that we were very excited about. We worked hard on all of them for the last few months, so a special shout-out to Gans's Catering, Profix Design and Consulting, Exit Realty Homeward Bound and The Clue, and last but not least, our wonderful friends at the Galley Tavern for being our first four guests on our podcast. Make sure you check out all four of those wonderful local businesses. But today, we are dropping our newest episode, we're really excited about today, to talk to the director of libations, Jordan Needham, from The Colonial. The Colonial has been one of our closest and long-term friends and partners with AP Entertainment, and we're really, really excited to have some fun with Jordan, learn a little bit more about The Colonial, and talk about what they have in store that maybe some people don't know about. So we are very excited to talk to Jordan today on Five Things to Know About, hosted by AP Entertainment. What is up, everybody? We are back today for episode five of Five Things to Know About the Colonial and our wonderful friend, Jordan Needham, the director of libations from the Colonial. Jordan, how are you? I'm great, Andy. Excited to be here. Thank you so much for being a part of this great project. We really appreciate it. We're going to have some fun today. Now, um, one day, maybe we'll get into the video of it. This is just audio, but for everybody listening... Jordan actually surprised us after each question we are gonna have a special drink that we're gonna talk about to kind of involve with everything from the colonial Jordan's personal taste and things like that so Jordan's gonna get to explain after each one but what we're gonna do is of course we are gonna find five things to know about the colonial Jordan and all the stuff that the great downtown area group does so as everybody knows, we host Team Trivia every Tuesday at Colonial, doing it for a long time. Jordan is always there getting to see all our teams, but he never gets a chance to really play too much. So this is Jordan's chance to play. He does not know what we're going to ask, so we gave him a little heads up, but are you ready? I'm ready. Let's right. do this. So question number one, I wanted to ask, we're not going to give you a musical clue, but I wanted to ask, who... That's where everybody says who. The <laughs> that was good. Who is the world's biggest brewer? Who is the world's biggest brewer? Ooh, biggest brewer. I'm going to say Sam Adams. That is close. It's actually number two from what I found uh. in my research. Sam Adams is two. Number one is Anheuser-Busch InBev. InBev. I, uh, I, I forget was about looking them. at that. They, correct me if I'm wrong, they sold to a worldwide group. And uh, they used to be based out of St. Louis and something like that. Yeah, they're just one of those giant conglomerates now that doesn't have a face or a name. It's just It's just them. (laughs) But recently, Sam Adams did partner with Dogfish Head. Right. So they're now the largest self-owned 
beer distribution company in the world that's not owned by a mega corporation. It's owned by two guys. That's what I thought because I had to look at it a few different places. But so speaking of uh, speaking of beer, speaking of brew, I wanted to ask you, Jordan, as the director of libations, what first you got? What first got you interested in beer from growing up? Was it your job? What got you interested into it? When I was a kid, my dad brewed beer, and then just got into brewing myself and whatnot, and it just, with the craft beer boom and my age, just kind of went line in line, and I came to Colonial, and they were like, I came in as the director of libations, and I was like, I have this really cool idea where I can travel to New York State, go to all these small breweries that aren't in distribution to bring into the bar, so the only way that our guests can get this beer is either drive five hours out into the middle of nowhere, or come to us. That's pretty incredible. I know from all the years we've worked together, for example, we did a, a trivia night about the movie A Christmas Story, and you found a beer all about the Christmas Story movie. You'll shoot your rye out yeah. by Hamburg Brewing Company. <laughs> and Hamburg's a couple hours away. Yeah. So that little things like that being featured at the Colonial is pretty special. So that's really neat. And I want you to tell me, you, did, you said... Your title is Director of Libations. How did you come up with that? What, tell me a little bit more about your role at Colonial. Ugh, how I came up with it. Uh, kind of just a thought of a funny name one night while I was making business cards. And I was like, oh, I mean, it all makes sense. I do organize all the different, not only the beer, but the spirits and the cocktails and what have you. So it was just a, a funny name I came up with that sounded over-official. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, in all the years I've known you, um, I, this is the absolute first time I've ever heard that. Uh, I heard you tell me that was your title, and that <laughs> I chuckle at each of them. It's really, really good. The director of libations. So, question number one: That we talked about the world's biggest brewery, and what we have, as we said earlier, Jordan here brought us samples because we talk about all sorts of different things each and every week at Colonial, and they feature different things, but. Jordan brought both of us things to try after each question. So tell me about the first thing that you brought us, Jordan. So none of this stuff we can find at <laughs> Colonial, unfortunately. This is all stuff from my personal collection. Sure. Um, so the first we're going to try is something I found when in Finland a couple years back called Selmiaki. It is a spirit, a neutral-based spirit that is infused with candy, um, but it is not the candy that we know and love here in the States. Wow. So if you want to... Well, cheers and here, here. Cheers. down it goes. <coughs> Whoa. That, that, is, that is something. It is. It's tar, almost like a licorice. Tar flavored black licorice. Wow. It wow. is terrible. That is really, that is really something. It tastes like I'm drinking a, drinking a Twizzler, a jelly bean. Yeah. For some reason, as kids <laughs> in Finland, they grow up eating it and love it. And then as adults, they take it and they put it into excuse me, vodka. Right. And I am not a big fan of it, but it is something that... <laughs> something not, to say. You're not going to find anywhere else. That's pretty incredible. I'll tell you, that's uh, the best part is, uh, again, folks can't see this, but we have a Tito's bottle, and I come in and I said, oh, Tito's, I like Tito's. Jordan goes, nope, that's not Tito's. This is something else. So that is a good one. And as we do that, we're going to move on to question number two. Question number two of our five things to know about. I wanted to know a little bit about collecting. You talk about how 
your father and growing up uh, with brewing, that got you into uh, really being interested in being the director of libations. But I want to know, a laborphilist, L-A-B-E-O-R-P-H-I-L-I-S-T, a laborphilist is a collector of what alcoholic item? Oh, geez. I've never been good at these ist questions. If I told you, I'll give you a little help. It's a two-word answer, and it's something that you could find at Colonial. Uh, they collect what alcoholic item? A labor phyllis. I'll just take a shot in the dark and say beer steins? Yeah, I will actually give that to you. It's beer bottles or beer steins. All right. So that is good. It's a labor phyllis is a collector of beer bottles and beer steins. So it's pretty cool. Now, I want to ask you, speaking of collections, do you have any personal collections at home outside of the different liquors that you've uh, you've accumulated and learned about over the years? I have quite, quite an extensive collection of the extremely rare and hard-to-find bourbons of the world. The okay. Pappy, Weller, E.H. Taylor, and stuff like that. Um, I'm... Probably pushing around 300 wow. incredibly rare bottles. It was insured by my homeowner's insurance when I bought my house recently. Get out of here. Your whole collection was my insured. Whole, because of how rare it is, they came in and they're like, yeah, this can be fall into your homeowner's wow. insurance. Wow, that's pretty incredible. I don't think I, I've heard of like my computer <laughs> systems and stuff like that. I've heard of you know rings and jewelry. I've never heard of... A collection of bourbon being insured by yeah. your homeowners. I mean, I have a, I have say, a bottle of Elmer T. Lee. Okay. On a secondary market, you can sell that for upwards of five hundred dollars. Wow! Just for a bottle. That's one bottle. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, tell me about you know we're talking about collections with bourbons and things like that. What is one or two of the most rarest things you would find in Colonial as far as that? rarest things um up on our shelf you can always see pappy and johnny walker and stuff like that but on our behind the bar with our collection of whiskeys and bourbons mm -hmm. stuff that people don't really look at because it's just a back bar okay i have stuff like a distillery called new riff okay out of kentucky they are not in distribution anymore for whatever reason they decided a couple years ago we're going to stop all distribution and a week before they stopped all distribution, I snagged myself a couple bottles. Wow. So the only, only way to get that, like a lot of our beer collection, is to either drive down south sure, or just come to Colonial and Binghamton. That's pretty incredible. That is pretty incredible. So going with question number two, the next item on Jordan's list that he brought for us is what? This is from, this is from a place called The Arcane. Okay. It's also a brewery in Brooklyn. So what the guys do, they'll make beer, can it, keg it, do whatever they want to do with it. But if they want to, it's a good batch or they want to do something that we're going to try here, they'll break off a batch and they'll put it in their giant vacuum distillation system, which lowers the atmospheric pressure so much of the beer that it boils at room temperature. I've been there. I've seen it in person. It's a vat that is bubbling and boiling and I've put my hands on it. Really? So what they do, they take the beer, they put it through the system, and about eight hours later, they have a full batch of whiskey. Okay. I will put that in air quotes because by all definitions, it's not whiskey. This is just high-octane beer that isn't carbonated. Wow. So this is IPA batch three. Okay. We're holding about 40.1% by volume of alcohol. 
Wow, so 40.1% compared to a regular beer. A regular beer, you're going to hit anywhere from 6 to 9 on the average. Wow. So this is hovering around that vodka range. So this isn't White Claw. <laughs> this is not White Claw, but it does give you that full IPA wow. hoppy profile that you would find in a beer, Okay. but in a bit stronger version. That's incredible. Well, Arcane, cheers. Wow. Well, I'll tell you that. Floral? Uh, you know, I, it almost, uh, I, I thought I, I wouldn't be able to taste the difference from the first one, the black licorice stuff that we tried, but that almost, it doesn't burn. It's very but smooth. It, but it almost tastes like a, almost like a spring type, like a, a, a light, almost a light and airy type. So you're getting uh, the drink. floral notes from the hops, a little bit of sweetness from the malts, but you're not... If you were to take a beer, uncarbonate it, cook it, sure, down into you know, or ferment or distill a beer like that, right, you would lose all that flavor, and wow. you would get just a neutral, clear base spirit. But this is an amber brown. It's smooth. Wow. But and again, this is something that you're only going to find in my personal collection. Sure, Unfortunately, sure. <laughs> um, we can't share this with everybody. That's pretty incredible. Wow. jump in here and talk to you a little bit about everybody's second favorite segment something to know about us we've been doing this the last few weeks trying to have something funny that maybe people don't know so this week we're going to tell you how we have an irrational fear of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches long story short that's never happens with us but when i was a kid i was having a sandwich watching my favorite cartoon show, Thundercats. This was way back in the day. And I was sitting in a coffee table that I was getting a little bit portly for my age and I couldn't get out of very fast. I tried to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And the jelly got stuck. And I was joking on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, in all reality, it probably was the peanut butter, but for me, it seems like it was the jelly. So I couldn't get out of the table quick enough, and I finally did, and I've never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich ever again. So that's quite irrational because it probably was the peanut butter, but I have never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in 30 years probably 35 years so hey we hope you're enjoying the podcast back to our interview and five things to know about with our director of libations jordan from the colonial all right so now we are going to move on to question number three of five with jordan i want to know jordan tell me what beer is known as the champagne of beers? The champagne of beers. That Miller High Life. Very good. All right. Very good. Miller High Life. I'll tell you, I remember growing up, my father loved uh, Miller Genuine Draft, MGD. I remember having that, and uh, that was my first beer uh, when I snuck it from my parents' bar uh, when I was 16. And silly me left half of it open and I said, oh no, you drank it. My, now I'm, you know, in my 30s. 
Yeah, I don't think many people leave a half a beer. <laughs> so Not off. That was pretty bad. So, talking a little bit more about beer, I know Miller High Life isn't the most popular selling beer, but at the Colonial, what's the most popular selling beer, or maybe the top two or three? I'll tell you, our number one beer, Yingling. Wow. We do a lot of promos with them, just sure. from Yings and Wings and stuff like that. Out of Popsville, Pennsylvania, actually, about a year and a half ago, A.L. George took a bus of us down to Yingling. Really? Toured the whole facility, and it is, it's built into a cave. Mm -hmm. The original brewery, of course. Okay. The, they opened one recently in Florida, and they have a big modern one now. Mm -hmm. But the original one was, we what, we took a tour of the original one, you're in a cave. Wow. You're in an old PA coal mine looking cave, and it's a brewery. No way. Dripping rocks, dripping water from the rocks sure. and the ceiling, sure. and the whole nine yards. That's incredible. I would now is correct if I'm wrong. Is Yingling the America's oldest brewery? This isn't a question, but is Yingling's the America's oldest brewery? America's oldest That's brewery. That's what yep. I thought. That's what I thought. Yingling is. I know I'm a bit. I'm a Yingling guy. With Yings and Wings, you do a Colonial every Thursday, right? Yes, every Thursday. Now that's a, so. Do you think that's been one of the biggest reasons why Yingling's been your most popular? I will say that is a very big contributing factor. Okay. But one of the biggest, I think. This is a good travel stop for a lot of people. Okay. Outside of, I'd say about the five closest states to us, mm -hmm. excluding Vermont, Rhode Island, you can't get Yingling. Wow. You drive up to Burlington, what's four, half, five hours away. Sure. No Yingling. Wow. Their distribution is very small. I never knew that. Yeah, so you can't get it on these northeastern states. Okay. Outside of New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, stuff like that. Wow. There's so if you go to California, there's no Yingling. I never mean, heard of it. Wow, no way. Mm -hmm. I, I guess uh, maybe that's just me in a bubble. I always thought Yingling was as big as Bud and things like that. Just the pretty much this small, like, northeast, excluding New England. Wow, that's crazy. Now, talk a little bit about, about beers. How about personally? Can you pick maybe your favorite type of beer, maybe your favorite brand kind, maybe a top three? I know it's probably like saying who your favorite kid is, but if you had to pick a, pick one or two or three. What I drink the most is, I will say blasphemy for my job, is Labatt. Really? I'm a Labatt guy. Get out I, of here. All these IPAs and stouts and mm -hmm. porters and pilsners and all these different varieties of beers. Right. It's hard to pick from. It's, right. What do you feel in that day? Now I can, I've acquired the ability to, over time, talking to a person, getting to know what they like to eat and drink, mm -hmm. and they come in, sit down, after I've gotten to know you for a couple times, I have a lot of guests that do this, Sure. just pick for me. Okay. I know their palate, I know their profile, I know what they like, mm -hmm. so I can pick out a beer for someone. Okay. Over time and getting to know them. So we have a lot of people that come in, they'll sit down, this is what I want to order for food and for beer or drink-wise. Wow. It's on me. So is that almost like um, when you say wine pairings, is that similar to like beer pairings? Absolutely. Things like that? Absolutely. Like if we're going to do, like on Mondays we do um, the clams and shandies. Mm -hmm. A shandy is a light summery beer right. with lemonade or juice of some variety added to it, and that pairs beautifully with seafood. Wow. You always have citrus and seafood together. So. Okay. A citrusy light beer and clams. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I guess I've always heard 
growing up about wine pairings, I don't think I really knew too much outside of watching television shows like Bar Rescue uh, about hearing beer pairings. Yeah. Is that a popular thing at Colonial, or is that something that you really like personally doing, where if you get to know a regular guest, you'll say, hey, w with these wings, this will pair good with this, or this will pair good with that that uh, burger. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because okay. that gets cool. to know me, get to know the person better. Sure. Get to know what they like better. Right. So I can better help them down this crazy world of craft beer. Because wow. in New York State alone, as of last year, there were 400 breweries in New York State. It's incredible. It's insane. Now, what do you think, can you put your finger on what, what was the explosion? What started that explosion of craft beer and things like that? Is it just the hobby of brewing? I think it's the hobby of there's a million factors. Okay. It's the hobby of brewing. It could be contributed to the time frame of, you know, you have those young hippies mm -hmm. that grew up, got out of that hippie lifestyle, sure. found that hops, which okay. are main ingredient in beer, are related to marijuana, and they have different, or sure. they have similar smells and stuff like that. So they could relive their childhood or their youth through this brewing process, wow. and then the time frame of you know the market crashing in the early 90s and stuff like that and then bringing it back to a more rustic like farms mean something okay and you're going to grow grains you're going to grow hops you can cultivate yeast from beehives mm -hmm. water purity is a big thing so i think it's like between all these million Attitudes different factors like of everything mm -hmm. the explosion happened in the I'll say mid to late 90s and okay. then just through the early 2000s and later on to where we are now it's just it's such a monster right that I I tried to help guide people through this sure. storm of craft beer I mean I'll tell you I know it's confusing for me personally I'm not a big uh, beer palate guy everybody a lot of people listening know that I like my white claw but I'll take my yinglings and stuff but I'm hoping a few people are real proud of uh, drinking things like this arcane and stuff like that but as we're going on with question number three let's talk about the third the third drink that you brought for us to try here so here we have I'm sorry Andy to do this to you but uh -huh. we have Jepsum's Malort Jepsum's Malort hopefully some listeners have tried it hopefully most have not it is Jepsum's Malort okay. it is only found in Chicago okay it is not in distribution anywhere um, I had a friend go out there about probably two years ago okay and pick me up a bottle she brought it back and you can see it's not very empty it is not it looks like I mean uh, you're talking about a few years ago it's not it's 30% empty, 40% empty. And this is the only reason that it gets drank is because... <laughs> to have people try it? To have people experience so it. So it is a liqueur. What What am I going to taste? What am I going to taste? Or do I just need to just try it? <laughs> just jump right oh, in. Oh, boy. Cheers. <laughs> oh, it's so bitter. Yeah, wow. It just dries your tongue out. <laughs> it all burns your soul. Ooh, that tastes like... <laughs> I can't even tell you what that tastes like. It tastes that like tastes, I poisoned you. It, it's it, that taste. I can taste this aftertaste oh. that is just kind of sitting on my tongue. You talk about hot ones and things like that and trying to guess things. Who I can tell why that's not. Oh, I don't even know what to drink. Did you put it on ice or anything? It's a dare wow. thing. It's all it is. It, it, oh. I don't get it, but there it is. You now can say you have tasted the world's 
worst alcohol. Jepson's Malort liqueur. Now, is that uh, what what classification is that? Is that like a whiskey or is that? It, oh, it's still right there. Too. It doesn't go oh, away. It does yeah. go away. Uh, a liqueur is just like a blended down neutral base liqueur added with flavors. Oh, similar like correct me if I'm wrong. Is that like a brandy or things like that? E kind of. Okay. Like a brandy is distilled from a, a fermented fruit of sorts. Okay. So like oh. like yes, Noka. Oh yes, Noka. Sure. sure. Distilled from fermenting blackberries and that. Wow. Unfair. And then this is made with the most terrible tasting things that you've ever experienced. <laughs> and then distilled and put into a bottle to torture you. Oh, that is crazy. Now, talking about the uniqueness of that, tell me, what, what do you think is maybe the most unique item that you have at Colonial outside of, you know, you talked about the things on the back bar. Is there something from a, a foreign alcohol or some sort of, like, hey, we have this, you should try it? Yes. I'm very excited about it. A lot of people just kind of get weirded out by it. It's called... I gotta say, it is te- this, it, this it, Jepsons is terrible. It's I've, it doesn't go away. People don't see it. I'm drinking more water. It's, your, it's telling me about the unique thing. Uh, we have this vodka called Zebra Cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was illegal till about like the late 80s because it was, again in air quotes, medicinal. Mm-hmm. It is vodka that has bison grass in it. Bison grass? Yeah, this is grass that grows in fields that bison roam through. Okay. And we have it behind the bar, and if you look in it, there is a long, about an 8 to 10 inch long piece of grass in it. Really? And it's one of the smoothest vodkas, or spirits you'll ever have. It's the same 40 proof as every vodka is, wow. but it has this like this very, very slight hint of this, I don't want to say herbal or anything like that, okay. just this earthiness to it. Really? It still has that vodka. It doesn't burn. It goes really well in like fall drinks okay. with apple cider or ginger or something like that. Wow. But it's something that you're not going to find a lot of places. Sure. It has a good story behind it. Right. And it's good. That's And it's not expensive. Really? That's pretty cool. Now, is that something where as the director of libations, you talk to your staff and you educate, yeah, I'm sure you educate them on different uh, different stories, different topics of each of the the liqueurs or the drinks that people may not be familiar with? When we bring a new server on, mm-hmm. we'll just start with the servers. Um, when we bring a server on, it's a two-day training process just with me. This isn't table etiquette. This wow, isn't just the menu. You. This is the whole story of how Colonial's craft beer program is so unique, how our beverage program overall is so unique, mm-hmm. all these unique items that we have, right. and how to properly talk to a guest about the specificity sure of some products right and i'm sure that probably goes back to saying hey uh you know just recommendations in general if a guest isn't at the bar or near you maybe a server has them and they try um i don't know say for example uh the pb and j burger that the colonial has they may ask their server say hey what drink do you suggest goes best with this or something like that greasy foods with big flavors let's keep it light if we're going to drink with it Okay. So, if you're going to get something spicy or savory sweet like the PB&J burger, I would recommend something on the lighter side. Mm -hmm. We currently have, as we mentioned earlier, um, a beer from Hamburg Brewing Company out in Hamburg, New York called A Little Bit Lager Now Mm -hmm. that they put out. A Little Bit Lager Now. They put out for the (laughs) Buffalo Bills going to the playoffs. Outstanding. So, it's a nice, light, refreshing beer to to pair with the big, bold flavors of the PB&J burger. Wow. And hopefully, after all the training, the staff can learn that. And if I'm not around, then we can go up 
to you know some of the bartenders mm -hmm. the bartender training process it's training two weeks with me behind the bar wow and then every month they're tested okay they get a new test every month they sit down with me they take this test just to further the knowledge of not only alcohol as a whole right but what products we've brought new products we brought into colonial wow i didn't even know that I, it's I've, been, I've been a partner i've been a partner with you in the colonial team for five six years i didn't even know that wow each month the, the servers the bartenders on, i'm sorry the bartenders stay on top and you train them by testing them hey here's the new types of drinks we have in here's this here's that each month you do that each month they go through another it's a written test just like back in school wow number one through 30 questions okay sit and fill it out under pressure because i'm sitting there right next to you right, not helping right, you right and it's just so when someone comes in and i'm not around or one of the other managers like mark or amber aren't around sure. they can help the guests to the best of our ability that's incredible i don't think i even knew that how how polished the the colonial team is as far as the knowledge of drinks the knowledge of pairing and things like that that's pretty incredible so as we move on we're going to go to question number four here you've done well you got two out of the first three right nobody's gotten the perfect score yet good. but this is pretty good the first two out of the first three right and you were close on one so question number four i'm going to ask you a little bit about mixing a drink i want to know what are the two main ingredients of a snake bite? If I were to come up and say, Jordan, give me a snake bite. Ooh, so there are two. Mm -hmm. There is, uh, it's lime juice and Yukon Jack what? for the shot snake bite. Yep. The drink, I think the third ingredient is Sprite. I'll give it to you. So I kind of I kind of tried to trick you there. There's two of them. There's the shot and the drink. Uh, there's cider and lager and Sprite for the actual drink, but then the shot is exactly that. So that is impressive, I'll tell you. I did a lot of I did a lot of work trying to find some stuff where I could trick you, but uh, that is 100% right on. So I want to ask you, talking about mixtures and things, could you tell me maybe what Colonial's most popular mixed or specialty drink is? I know you have things like you. I know we've done the shot ski things like that if you had to put your put your finger on it is there anything that stands out above the rest that is more popular at colonial than just a beer or a shot i'll say for our drinks on our menu mm -hmm. in moscow mule or in margarita these are not riffs on anything they're just the good old basics right a moscow mule and a margarita at its basic they're just good mm -hmm. there's no way around it we can get fancier. We can make some wild, crazy drinks and t light them on fire or something. But if you're talking about just a good classic burger and a Moscow mule, how could you go wrong? Right. I know you guys even have that. You guys all have the copper mugs and stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, you guys do the mega mules. We do the 103-ounce mega mules with a full pint of vodka in it. Oh, a full pint of vodka. Yep. How many people usually get those? The two, four, six? We recommend them for quite larger parties, but, you know, we've had a group of college kids come in and be like hey there's just like four of us can we split like, of course sure sure of course i also have had kids you know come in like how what's the fastest someone drank this and it's like eh, don't recommend that because right. you're just gonna get a brain freeze right right wow that's incredible now if you had to say what is your outside of the colonial specialty drinks talking about the mega mule and talking about how good the margaritas are but is there one personally at the Colonial that you really like to make? Like, this is a show. This is something that's cool. I'll say um, recently 
changed on our permanent menus is a cocktail that I created called the Mary's Garden. The Mary's Garden. Okay, yep. tell me about that. I love herbs. I love fruit and vegetables and keeping things fresh. Right. So it's a mixed berries, mm-hmm. raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, with rosemary, gin, St. Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur. Sure. Um, shaking the hell out of it. You release some of those rosemary oils and everything. Pour it out. It's this beautiful purple color garnished with a bright green sprig of rosemary. Really? Very refreshing. And that's one that I enjoyed the making process of because mm-hmm. it is a bit of trial and error when creating new cocktails. Sure. But it's just also a drink that is good to consume. Now, how you talk about trial and error. How is the best way for you and your staff to find out something? Like you said, hey, we want to create a special drink for... You talk about the Bills going to the playoffs, for example, or something like that. What what is that? Something that you brainstorm? You sit with sit with the staff and say, "Oh, this drink is popular up in Buffalo, or this drink is popular down in Chicago." Things like that. How do you come up with that? I like to start with what spirit do I want to start with? Okay. If I want to make a whiskey cocktail, or a vodka cocktail, or a gin cocktail, start with that. Mm-hmm. Start with a gin, so you're going to get a lot of floral, citrus pine flavors, what pairs well with those. Mm -hmm. So then, all right, well, rosemary, obviously. Rosemary's great, and rosemary also plays really well with sweetness. Right. So add the berries. And St. Germain, the elderflower liqueur, just pairs well with damn near anything. Sure. So mix that in together, boom. And there have been some cocktails that, ooh, I want to do a, I want a beer cocktail. Mm -hmm. Beer cocktails are really hard. So there have been some trial and error in that one. Okay. Now, beer cocktails, why do you say beer cocktails are, are tougher than spirit cocktails? It's just because the way uh, the way beers are uh, brewed and things like that? Well, with making cocktails, you're adding something to making a beer cocktail. You're adding something to something that's already carbonated. Well, I understand. So mixing it's difficult because you can't shake it and stuff like that. But right. there are some that just are home runs, like we'll say the michelada. Okay. Now, have you ever had one? I have not. I don't even know what that is. A michelada, it is essentially a Bloody Mary but without vodka, really? but instead beer. So it's almost—it's like a bloody beer. It's a bloody beer. Okay. So it's—it was a South American thing, generally with, you know, a cerveza or a Corona, something like that. Right. But we've done stuff with IPAs. Wow. Adding those those big bold flavors of um, Bloody Marys and just that hint of floral from an IPA plays really well together. That's pretty incredible. So. As we, before we go on to question number five, we're going to talk about the fourth drink that you brought for us to try. Tell me about what number four is today. Number four is, I'm not too sure. I just saw the bottle while traveling through Iceland. Now, I see something like, that's not a worm. I know tequila bottles have worms in them. What in the world is that? Moss from the highlands of Iceland. Wow. Uh, So someone went and scraped a rock and (laughs) then chucked it in a bottle of Icelandic schnapps. I mean, looking closer at it, it is... It literally is just looks like some sticks. Yeah, it's <laughs> some, some sticks and Icelandic schnapps. So this is Icelandic schnapps. Wow. Yeah. All right. Hey, cheers. Here we go. <laughs> now that actually one that is a lot better than number three. That Jepson <laughs> stuff that <laughs> that has taken me a bit, but that almost. When I think of schnapps, again, being a novice when it comes to that, I think of things like the mint flavors, the peach flavors. That almost, it's not really a whiskey flavor, 
but it's almost like a very bold flavor. It, it is it's kind bold, of a bold flavor. Mild sweetness, because mm -hmm. you know, with any vegetable or any vegetable variety like moss, there's some sugars in it, so you'll pull the sugars out of that and leach out, and it's very earthy. Not, mm -hmm. I don't want to say like a, not a dirt flavor, but a fresh flavor. Like you walk out into the woods and you breathe in, and yeah. you just smell that fresh. Pine, not pine, but that fresh earth smell. It, it almost, it is almost like a, um, it, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a cleansing type flavor. Mm. It's very, like almost a deep breath. Uh, like, oh, that, that, that's good. But I got to tell you, the people who are listening to this are going to be shocked. I swear, I'm drinking all these. I'm not, I'm not bailing out because people go, Andy just drinks White Claw and maybe a Yingling. But I'm trying all these. You know, by the end of this, you will have had <laughs> spirits from all over the world. That is pretty incredible. So, as we move on, we're going to move on to our last question. And I wanted to ask you a little bit. Question number five, I was going to ask you about seltzer. Seltzer, the seltzer smash with the White Claw, with the, you know, all the different flavors of White Claw and things like that. This first alcoholic seltzer to hit the national market happened in 1993. Could you tell me what the first considered alcoholic seltzer was? Now, I had to look this up a couple times. I don't think you carry this brand. I may be wrong, but this is something I remember growing up, and it's more of a malty type flavor, but it's considered a seltzer when I read it a few different places. So can you tell me what's considered the first national alcoholic seltzer that happened in 1993? 93. Ooh, that's throwing me through a loop because I was thinking Zima. Okay, I'll let you count that. It's Zima. Zima, Zima came out in 1993. They, they consider that a seltzer? Yeah, which surprised me. I had to look at about three or four different places, and I thought Zima was considered more of a malt beverage. On the bottle, because I, I have, again... A collection of bottles. Mm -hmm. um, I have a Zima bottle that expired in 1996 <laughs> of Zima citrus flavor. Wow. That on the bottle says malted beverage. Okay. So not seltzer. I looked at a few different places. Not Wikipedia for everybody who says that Wikipedia is the way to go. Not like Michael Scott. But I looked at a few different places. They consider in 1993 Zima brought the first ever alcoholic seltzer to market and I'll never forget growing up we had a kid who we would hang out with always loved Zima I hated Zima the first time I tried it yeah. and uh, I didn't even know if they still sell Zima so Zima sold in 1998 to a Japanese company okay and they stopped all distribution but recently um they surprised everyone uh probably not recently uh, three years ago maybe mm -hmm. they surprised everyone and just dump this huge allotment in the US. Really? And it went out into the market, it flooded it, and everyone like like in droves and swarms came out and we got a couple cases when it re-released. And in it the probably US. got popular. It got super popular. It's almost then, like the old school stuff, like a PBR. Mm -hmm. And it got popular. It, it got popular, everyone wanted it, everyone bought it out, disappeared. <laughs> and it's so it's and, like the magical the magical spirit. But, yeah. So talking a little bit about the seltzer. What in the world do you think caused the seltzer popularity? I've seen seltzers, granted I, I, I'm a White Claw fan, but I've seen all sorts of seltzers on the market from Bud Light to Corona to everybody seems to have a seltzer. Do you have any thoughts why seltzer became such a hit recently? I'll say it's the Northeast, including New England this time. If you fly out to Seattle, LA, Texas, there are no seltzers. Okay. 
it is a northeast thing. We have a, I have a friend out in L.A. that has a bar that brand reps will come up and be like, hey, man, can you take a case of White Claw this week just to help me out? Wow. Where I'm telling them, like, I'm buying 25 cases a week. Tom and Marty's is buying the same. We can't keep the stuff in stock. Right. Well, out on the West Coast, they can't get rid of it. Wow. The Northeast is the largest consumption of not, non, non-alcoholic seltzers. Okay. Your Polar Springs, your Wegmans brand, stuff like that. Sure. For whatever reason, the Northeast just drinks can and bottled seltzers. Wow. With the soda streams and all that stuff. So when someone was like, ooh, the Northeast drinks so much seltzer, let's put a, some alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. That's what blew it up. Wow. And with White Claw, right. brewed, in, brewed by Twisted Tea owns them. Mm-hmm. So that being in Michigan, not the Northeast, but they have a big foothold out here also. So it was just blew up because of... Everyone around here drinks seltzer. So you're telling me Twisted Tea owns White Claw? Yeah. I did that one. I didn't know. That's a good trivia question. So anybody who's listening, you better pay attention because that may be used as a trivia question at Colonial. But Twisted Tea owns White Claw. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you spoke of Tom and Marty's, but Colonial and Tom and Marty's have been neck and neck for the most White Claw sales in New York. So it was the most White Claw... Who, who bought the most White Claw? Okay. And we were neck and neck. Tom and Marty's did pull ahead a okay. couple of years ago. Um, they were number two in... They were number two. So this excludes casinos, mm-hmm. um, racetracks, just like your giant places sure. like that. So this is bars and restaurants. Right. Um, they were number two in the world. Worldwide. Wow. And we fell number four. In the So wait a second. You, Colonial is number four in the world. Was. What okay was now I could I could have my reps pull a ranker and find out where we are now, but still pretty high. But it got yeah. you got his highest number four in the world, not New York in the world. They never pull a worldwide one because White Claw sales they can't pull from international markets. Okay, but the Northeast being the largest consumer of seltzer, wow, and the largest consumer of White Claws, right? It's just very easy to infer that. That is incredible. I would never think that. Now, talking about a little bit about White Claws, White Claws still one of the most uh, popular beverages at Colonial. Is that still just Absolutely. coming off the sale, coming off the shelf? Yeah. Absolutely, and especially with recently we brought on the variety flavors. variety pack number three: mm-hmm. uh, blackberry, strawberry, and pineapple. Right. I personally am not the biggest fan of White Claws. Mm-hmm. I prefer a beer, or a sure. stiff glass of whiskey. Sure. But. They're huge. I, if I've been in this industry for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I have seen trends go up and down, but I have never seen a trend like White Claw just tank over Bud Light, Budweiser, Coors Light. This has switched so many just generic drinkers mm-hmm. to White Claw. Wow. I mean, it's incredible. It seems, white, it seems like the White Claw craze with uh, with the, what you were buying in Colonial happened, what, two, three years ago? Uh, yeah. A couple of years ago, maybe? Yeah. But it's still, it's, it's lasting, and it's still strong. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Well, before we get going here, we have a fifth and final drink. This does not look like a White Claw. This looks like some green liquor. What in the world do you got for us here? So, Italy, a uh, year and a half ago, mm-hmm. coming home. Uh, found this very delicious-looking bottle. We have a pistachio cream liqueur. Wow. So this is, think of like your Bailey's or your cream bourbon liqueurs and like sure. that. 
but with pistachio. So it is a green, kind of milky, thick substance. It looks, which, yeah, it looks almost like a, a the, the substance consistency of like, a, as you said, a Bailey's, a Kahlua, things like that. Wow, and it's pistachio. And so after... Oh, it looks like pea soup. Yeah. I mean, it literally looks like pea soup. So after all these <laughs> very, some bad and new experiences, we get to end on a delicious note. A smooth one. Cheers. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, at one of these days, we'll get this podcast to be video, and we'll do a part two with Jordan. But I drank that whole thing. And that's really tasty. Yeah. That seems to be like a really good after dinner type drink. You put maybe put it maybe over ice. Ice cream. Things like that. Over ice cream. Just drizzle cream. that over a vanilla ice cream. You got a delicious pistachio ice wow, cream. Wow, I never even thought about that over yeah. ice cream. And you said you got that in Italy. Yeah. I was that flying back from Milan and found that in duty free. I, I this is one compared to that number that disgusting number three. I don't even need to take a drink. That's like so smooth. So I got one more thing. We haven't done this. We actually have a six question for you. We won't, have, you know what, we'll count this. You're four for five on the questions. We have a surprise six one we didn't tell you. We want to ask you about our relationship. The uh, AP Entertainment and the Colonial have been partners for almost, it'll be six years this summer. So something that I love every Tuesday. We have so much fun uh, working together. I still laugh every time everybody knows we play Root Beer, root beer Rag. And for years, you've always said, yep, I have it as my alarm every morning, that song, because I can't stand it. So, we always do a famous theme night once a month. Do you know what the first theme night we ever did at Colonial? <laughs> it was a while ago. The first time we ever did a theme. First theme night. I'll give you a hint. It was a, it's a very popular theme night. Ugh. I have two things that I'm back and forth on. I'll say Seinfeld. You are 100% right. 100% right. We did Seinfeld when it was our first theme. The second theme was Disney, which is coming up in two weeks on April 20th, our next Disney theme night. But Seinfeld, I'll never forget, you and me sat down, and we had scotch made out of Hennigan's to look like Seinfeld, Hennigan, scotch. And we had, uh, you know, a special burger and all sorts of stuff made. So that is something that we've had so much fun being partners with the Colonial over the last five and a half years. And um, I know it's it's a blast. We even had stuff where we've had you be a partner of our giant party every uh, December that we do. That was fun. And, oh, it's time. We can't wait to have it back. We can't wait to have it back. But, uh, yeah, Seinfeld was the first one. But... We could talk to you forever. After all this stuff, we did six questions. You were five for six. Five for six on here. But before we go, I'm going to ask you, could we do one more shot of that pistachio? Absolutely. That was actually really tasty. As we go here, again, we're going to thank Jordan from The Colonial, the director of libations. Uh, Folks know Jordan. He's there. Everybody knows Jordan from his beard. But... You gotta know Jordan about his incredible knowledge that he passes on to the staff of the Colonial, each and every staff member, all the training they go through, and we have such a good time every Tuesday. So, Jordan, one more time, cheers. Thank you for being a part of this project. We so appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Andy. Bottoms up. (sighs) 
Hey, once again, a big thank you to Jordan Needham, the director of Libations from the Colonial, for being our guest on this week's episode of Five Things to Know About with AP Entertainment. We appreciate Jordan coming on and, of course, all our wonderful partnerships with our great friends from the Colonial that we see each and every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. We really appreciate all their support, and we hope you're able to go out and check out some of those great drinks, the great staff, the great service that they have there at the Colonial. Hey, we will be back again next Friday with another brand new guest and a new episode of our podcast. If you're interested in being a part of it, make sure you get in touch with us by following Five Things to Know About on both Facebook and Instagram, or you can reach us through the AP Entertainment channels right from the website apentertainment607.com. We are going to be reaching out and having a lot of wonderful community members, fun guests, surprises, and a lot of great plans for this awesome podcast that we can't thank you enough for listening and taking an ear to it. So, again, we appreciate it very much. So, have a great week. We will see you guys next week.